will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we're doing something a little bit differently. In fact, it's a kind of a series that I, I do want to do the other two um, that are in it uh, and discuss those at a later uh, later point. But we are going to be talking about Tin Man. And if you're not familiar with Tin Man, it's 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 pretty old now at this point it's 13 years old uh it was one of the first like not not first big mini series for sci-fi back when it was you know sci sci-fi um but this was part of a, a thing that they would do every year where they would do uh usually in the winter they do a little mini series and tin man was one of them that uh i wanted to i, I don't think i got to watch it when it aired but I got to watch it afterwards, and it's something I really enjoy. As uh, Matt, who has joined me again this week, uh, knows Wizard of Oz is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And I've read the book, too, but I, I really like um, the movie with Judy Garland. I own several copies of it. I remember several times as a kid watching the VHS over and over again, Um but before we really get into it, uh, let me, of course, welcome Matt back to the podcast. Matt, how you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I'm just uh, happy it's a weekend again. Yeah, I know what you mean. I uh, I took a little extended vacation because, um, of course, the week of this uh, episode releasing is the week of Thanksgiving, and I... Um, have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off as long as well as Thursday and Friday, you know, for work. But I took off Thursday and Friday of this past week off as well. So I've given myself an extended vacation and uh, I can tell you I, I really needed it. Um, but 
without any further ado, uh, normally we do a premise of the movie before we play the trailer. Of course, this isn't necessarily a movie per se, unless you want to look at it as a four hour, four and a half hour movie. Uh, but the trailer does a pretty good job of giving the premise. So we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for you. DG had a regular family. I love you both. A regular job. A lot of people would fight for a job like this. Don't throw it away. A regular life. This isn't my day. Sure isn't. Until she realized that her life was just the calm before the storm. to me you were sent through that storm for a reason now she's discovering that nothing she ever imagined she needs to know what she's up against could have prepared her to face her true enemy there is one thing that can stop her tell me where the emerald is her true companions i'm just trying to find my parents and i'm trying to find my brain courage come on tin man have a heart and her true destiny you help that girl at all costs She's the key. DG, where are you? I haven't been here, but I know this place. A road is what we're looking for. The brick road. Starring Richard Dreyfuss. Your mother cloaked your memories in magic. Alan Cumming. That's life in the OC these days. Tough and tougher. Neil McDonough. I'll see you down the road. And Zoe Deschanel. Where can I find my mother? There is a man in the central city. He's powerful. Some even say he's a wizard. The with all the answers. He's out of his mind. You are no coward. I don't know where you came from, but if you have any interest in staying alive in the OZ, trust no one. I'm not saying they call me Twinkletoes or anything, but I cut quite a rug. <laughs> all that I need is right here. Behold, the end of your kingdom and the beginning of mine. The complete destruction of the OZ. A storm is coming. Of L. Frank Baum's timeless fantasy adventure, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz is reborn for a new generation. Tin Man. All right. So, yeah, the trailer does a really good job of kind of setting up what this is about. Um, it's a reimagining of the classic Wizard of Oz, but with a more modern day twist. Um, so, we're going to go ahead and of course, even though this has been, you know, out for 13 years, we're just going to announce spoilers right now because it's about the only way we're going to be able to really discuss this. Um, and if you want to watch it, you can currently watch it for free on IMDb TV. I'm sure it's on Tubi and Pluto and Voodoo for free with ads. Um, but the first episode, we get introduced to the character of D.G., played by Zoe Deschanel, and she's going to be our pretty much our Dorothy for the show. And uh, she's having these dreams and everything and and basically come to uncover that she uh, is being tracked down by these uh, people from what they call the OZ stands for the outer zone, but of course, is the representation of Oz. And they come to get her, and uh, basically then through the tornado, she is transported to the land of Oz. Um, there is a lot of stuff going on in this first episode, and I will say that I was watching uh, a making of special feature, and this had been originally conceptualized as an actual television show, um, which 
I think would have benefited this in the long run. I think that this would have been probably a lot better as a series versus a mini series because, uh, and I think Matt will have some things to say about this as well. This first episode packs in a lot and also can be very slow. Um, I don't think it uses good use of certain characters, uh, most specifically Richard Dreyfus as the mystic man. Uh, I think he's really kind of undercut and misused in this first episode. Um, but we, you know, we have our wicked witch or as they call her in this, the sorceress, we have, uh, new interpretations of scarecrow, Tin man and the cowardly lion. And, I think out of the three of them, the only one that doesn't quite work for me is Scarecrow. It's not so much the concept of what they do with Scarecrow and and him not having a brain or having half a brain, but it, it just, as a representation or an updated imagining of the character, I don't think it does a really good job with that. Although Alan Cummings is fantastic in the role. Um, Neil McDonough, who I will say throughout the three episodes is probably one of the best things about this does a really good job as the Tin Man. And I think that that's the update that does the best in this, uh, kind of being this cold hearted, uh, lawman because of what happens with his family and being stuck in an iron suit for 15 years and not knowing what's happened to his family and how his heart has kind of dried up and become cold and hardened. Uh, and then the Cowardly Lion, um, you know, they're not what you normally would probably expect, but they're these empaths and, and have these uh, psychic abilities or telepathic abilities. Um, and I think that that was a very interesting update for that character. Updates I didn't quite like, like I said, was Richard Dreyfus as the Mystic Man. Not so much because of him, but they just it felt like they didn't know what to do with the character. And one other, I think, aspect about this that even though it's the through line through the rest of the the uh, program, I don't necessarily like the fact that DG is from the OZ. I kind of wanted it to be like the original Wizard of Oz, where someone who has no connection to this world is brought over and exploring it. But with that said, and I think Matt will agree with me on the later episodes uh, or the other two episodes that it, it, it gets better. Um, I think he told me before recording that he felt like this, the beginning of it was very slow and I will agree. It's very exposition uh, laden, which I don't necessarily mind a whole lot in my stuff, but in, in this where you only have three episodes you, you've got to be very careful with how you handle it, because if you overload one, then you don't get enough in the other. And I feel like this one just gets very weighed down and trying to set up the world, set up the characters, set up this mystery, uh, what's going on and, and how is DG connected to this world. Um, but other than that, I do like some like nice throwbacks that the sheriff or the police officer at the beginning is Elmer Gulch, which is, you know, the Gulch is the name of the the woman at the beginning of Wizard of Oz who wants to take uh, Toto away from her. Um, 
her waitress outf- uh, outfit is or uniform is like the traditional Dorothy outfit. Um, so it, there are some nice little throwbacks and uh, allusions to the original Wizard of Oz. But overall, I feel like this first episode is very kind of just bogged down with stuff. Um, and one sad thing, as much as I do love this as a whole, the effects are really starting to definitely not hold up. But you have to keep in mind it was made for television. It didn't have a movie budget. But I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Matt and hear what he has to say. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I I felt that it was kind of slow at the beginning. I like the, the way it was setting it up. It just kind of went slow for me as far as getting to um, the OZ. Um Listening to what you just talked about and how it paid homage to uh, the original Wizard of Oz, I don't know if you noticed the address of the house was 39, which is 1939 with with the Wizard of Oz. Um, I I quite didn't mind that she came from the world. Um, that was interesting. I just wish it would have delved a little deeper. I agree with you that it was probably would have worked better as a as a uh, series, not a mini-series. Um, uh, some interesting things is I got vibes of, and this will kind of go through the whole thing, but I got vibes of other movies and kind of settings. Uh, you talked about the uh, Cowardly Lion uh, having that psychic capability. I kind of got the impression of like an oracle from uh, The Matrix um, with that. Uh, the Tin Man uh, is my favorite character from the original Wizard of Oz, and I like how it kind of, even though he's not really the main character, I feel like the story really centers around him and uh, being able to gain that compassion again that you would have uh, uh, with that heart uh, falling out over that time. Um, uh, with Richard Dreyfus, I, I thought he did tremendous with it. Uh, and for what he was on there for, I wish there would have been more of him, uh, because he's the wizard. So I would think you would have a little more presence in this, uh, in this mini series, um, looking at the, the, the farmhouse at the beginning, I, I, I recognized it and I recognized it because only a few years after this came out. Uh, Once Upon a Time became a series on uh, ABC and they actually filmed in the same location as as this and they used that as um, the Wicked Witch's house in in that series. So like I I, kind of was like man, I I get a Once Upon a Time vibe with this series and I think for the most part the two guys that created the Once Upon a Time series took a lot from this and got an idea of how they wanted to do their show. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff with the officers, uh, it reminded me of the, I'm not trying to get too political with it, but it reminded me of the Gestapo, uh, which is kind of interesting because Frank Baum wrote these novels way before uh, the rise of Nazism in, in Germany. So I kind of wonder where did he get that? From was it from the Ottoman Empire? Where where exactly did he get this idea? And the way that they show in this, I think the people that 
kind of did this modern spin on it really took it from like 1939 when Wizard of Oz came out Nazism was was really rising especially over in Europe so maybe that's where they got that for their their part here the only thing I have issue with this is there's so many pieces of source material with, with Frank Baum he wrote more than just the Wizard of Oz he had five or six books on that on that series so not knowing all of the source material I it was hard for me to follow it because I'm more with the classic 1939 Wizard of Oz I really like the way that story goes and it was just but at the same time I will say uh, I liked how they put a spin on it and it made it their own and that's where I think I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more is that it was their own spin on the classic story. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I I really think that they they wanted to not have it bogged down and be compared like frame for frame of the Wizard of Oz. And in fact, um, one thing I did see when I was kind of checking out the making of featurette on the DVD was that uh, the a producer on there says you know every like classic um based on like literature like a piece of like wizard of oz or or um maybe like something like pinocchio or something like that needs to be remade about every 50 years to uh be exposed to an audience that's not aware of it um much like the wizard of oz was predates well before you and i uh by you know 50 almost 50 years completely um even though we were exposed to it, we had it on VHS. I've got it on Blu-ray and 4K now and uh, everything. There is this nice thing where you can kind of take it, update it, and make it interesting for someone to be, who hasn't had any exposure to it, who maybe doesn't know too much about the original movie or the books, and see it and go, okay, wow, that really fascinated me. Now I want to go check out the original bit. Um, so, I, I and I think... I mean, I really remember being excited for when this was coming out, and I, I know I bought it um, digitally, which for some reason my digital copy is not on iTunes anymore, so that kind of angers me, but uh, I did end up getting it on DVD, and, um, you know, I I uh, was really excited to own it, I was excited to watch it, I this has probably been my first time rewatching it in, let's say, a good, like, five years now it's it's been a while uh, i've always kind of meant to go back and revisit it um multiple times but just never found myself uh finding the time for it but i also liked the idea that this spawned um more than just them doing tin man they followed it up with alice uh which is probably my favorite out of the trio even though i i am more attached to the wizard of oz story I really and I I do love uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, but I really liked I think more what they did with Alice than what they did with Tin Man, and although I've only seen bits of it, uh, they did Neverland was the third kind of follow up which uh, explores Peter the Peter Pan mythos, and uh, them bringing back like Bob Hoskins to reprise his role of Smee from Hook, uh, in in taking their spin on that. The only thing um, that's kind of disappointing is. That's the last one. Uh, Nick Willing, who directed all three of those, 
he didn't they didn't do anymore and they're just they're kind of a lost uh thing i would have kind of preferred for this to be almost an annual thing where they would take these classic stories and classic films and put these nice little uh twists and spins on it but uh that's more of a conversation for later here in the episode so we're going to now move on to the second episode where I think that that's where the it really starts kind of f- falling into its its groove, that it, it starts uh, really dragging the audience in because we have DG kind of captured by Ascadalia um, and uh, and Ra is also captured uh, by by her as well. And they're being held captive. Uh, we were given the impression that um, uh, Kane was dead, but he was rescued. And so we have Kane and Glitch kind of going in to save them and being introduced to Toto, um, which I really like what they do with Toto in this. They don't, um, I don't think they explore it well enough, but I do like the concept that they had with it and what they tried to do with it. Uh, But like we've said, they've, essentially by making these three hour and a half movies, they're trying to cram everything they would want to do in a 22 episode series for a season. Um, and that's where I think it really kind of suffers in its execution. Um, but then we have, you know, DG exploring more of her memories and her time in the OZ before she came or before she came to basically our side or the other side. And, uh, we get to see more of her relationship with uh, her mother and also her sister when they were younger. And then we kind of get to understand why Ascadalia is the way she is by the end of the episode. So I think in the the story-wise, this one is stronger and also keeping up the interest and understanding. I will say it's also the fastest moving piece meaning like my my interest is kept throughout the entire i think that's like an hour and 26 minutes runtime um so this one is a vast improvement over the first entry and again like like you said and i said um they they really misuse richard dreyfus because he's such a an iconic actor and such a good actor and you have him cast as the wizard as the mystic man and you kill him off within the first like 10 minutes. Um, and then he has one kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi moment uh, with with uh, DG. And then that's pretty much it. And I get it. Maybe it was a, a cost thing. Maybe it was a story thing. Uh, maybe it was he didn't really want to do it, but. It, it just really is kind of a disappointment that we don't get more of him throughout the the, the miniseries. Because, like you said, he's the wizard, you know, and, and it's kind of all a little bit centrally focused around him. But, uh, again, he does a really good job with what he's given, and it's just kind of disappointing that they couldn't do anything more with it. Um, but, like I said, it's a vast improvement in the story, in the flow, um, and giving us the pieces that we need to understand DG's connection to the OZ and her connection to her mother and to Ascadalia and ultimately the witch. Um, and this kind of concept that the witch was, um, now it's not the original wicked witch of the West or anything like that, but it's this kind of ancient being that was trapped away 
And due to these two girls kind of just exploring, they released her and she possesses Ascadalia because of a moment of weakness from DG. And one other aspect, and I know you and I kind of talked about this off air, um, that is kind of uh, a little too over-sexualization of an actress, but I I do like the idea of the monkeys being the tattoos and coming out of her, but the, the way they go about showing that is a little, a little much. Um, but other than that, uh, it's a vast improvement really gets the story moving. Um, I also, I don't know if you caught this, um, and I'm almost finished here with, with my little rambling, but uh, the fields of the Pape or the poppy fields, you know, from the original. So, like, I kind of liked that concept. There's also the reference about um, the trees and how that they would get the trees to throw apples at them, which is a reference again to the movie with Scarecrow and Dorothy um, in, insulting the trees to get apples. And so uh, I, I really think that episode two is a vast improvement uh, over the first one. So, Matt your thoughts I'll have to agree episode 2 is where it really piqued my interest it, it did seem like you said uh, a lot quicker uh, as far as because of the interest that we had um, to pull out a couple of things that I, I noticed uh, is I really started to hear in the score of the series a lot of subtleties to 1939 uh, like with the marching of the men and and uh, and everything like that, uh, I, I'll agree. I I felt that I had the uh, uh, Star Wars vibe with with Dreyfus um, uh, and when they kill him there at the, the beginning of the episode, um, it was almost like you strike me down, I'll become stronger. But then I was expecting him to be more outside of that that he'd always be talking with DG and he does a couple of times, but not as much as I was expecting. Uh, while she's in the prison, uh, you see the mouse. It made me think of the green mile, uh, for some reason I was getting a lot of different films vibes in here. Uh, and then I really like that. It explores more of, of DG and her sister, uh, and what drew her sister to become the way she was. Uh, that you see her in the, in the modern time. And I, I felt the storytelling was a lot better. Um, when they got to the cave, you start hearing the girls chanting a song. It made me think of one, two, Freddy's coming for you. So I had a little nightmare on Elm Street vibe there uh, just because of the, the tone of the, the song they were singing. Uh, then they got into the cave where you kind of find out the old being being actually the wicked witch which I, I, I like that. Uh, but the, the face on the cave made me think of Legends of the Hidden Temple. Um, the witch looked pretty creepy. I liked the effect that they made on her. It, did, it didn't have the, the green wicked witch that we see in, in, um, in the Wizard of Oz. Uh, and then there's a, a scene where they run through a maze. I believe that's in the second part um, that you start first see the maze. And... Uh, it made me think of Alice in Wonderland. Uh, but then I also, because you're not sure what you're going to see on the other end, I felt of Alice in Wonderland meets The Shining, uh, that it, it had a, a feeling like that. 
Um, but that twist that I think you find out at the end of episode two is what really drew me into wanting to finish this this series because the way the first episode kind of ended, it was there's so much stuff that he told me. I'm trying to to comprehend everything that you're telling me. Uh, it's it's almost an overload. Episode two, you streamline all of it to a point that I'm very interested in it and finding out that the the Wicked Witch actually um, put herself into her older sister, then it made it like, okay. So, like, that's why we're seeing what's happening right now and um, being able to go through and, and find uh, the swing and where the lake used to be and all that kind of stuff. I felt it was given enough backstory that I had been waiting for, and especially in the first episode. I wish it would have maybe, like, teased it a little bit more in the first episode, uh, but I, I'm happy that it, it allowed it to go in through there. Um, on Toto, I I like it. I like that it had a human dog aspect, but at the same time, especially at the beginning, when you see what he's doing and leaving a trail, it makes me very... I didn't like that because Toto in the... 1939 it has none of that you don't have that kind of character with him but you know you know you want uh toto to be good but it gives you that impression that he's helping the wicked witch and i i I didn't like it at that part and in episode three you get to have a little more story on that and we'll talk about that later yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but like you said, there there is uh, kind of an explanation as to that. But I do like the concept of uh, how it was her mispronouncing Tudor um, as Toto and him trying to always correct her uh, in the flashbacks. And that was something I thought was really cute, and it's something conceivable that we, as kids, we know when we can't pronounce a word the way we hear it, we do it the best way we can. Um, but yes, so let's move on to the finale. Um, so the finale, I think overall, it it wraps everything up kind of with a fine tooth comb. Um, we basically have no Richard Dreyfuss in this episode and no real references or anything to that. Um, but what I, I do like about it is, um, kind so we're giving the clue of a um, that that's who, DG needs to find. And um, one thing I because I never looked at the name uh, written down before, uh, but I did see it in IMDb and also in the trivia in IMDb that spelled backwards. It's Omaha and uh, kind of just a reference to the original uh, Wizard of Oz and, and where the like the wizard comes from and stuff like that. So I thought that that was a really kind of cool um, twist on that, but also, uh, I liked the idea of this underground, um, area where it's like all of the un- undesirables or criminals are kind of that are living as outlaws from the OZ and from Ascadalia, uh, kind of all gather. And it's the one thing about this that I wish would have been explored more because we also know that there's a resistance and, um, we later find out that Kane's uh, grown up son is kind of the leader of this resistance. And, uh, but 
also just the, again, there's there's this juggling of some things that just would have felt better if it had been maybe a one season 13 episode and, and pared down to like 44 minute episodes uh, where they could have spread things out and explored things better. Um, there's also a, a nice reference while they're in that underground um, when they ask the question of the Arab day and they ask, where is uh, Ahamo? And all the hands are pointing in different directions as a reference to Scarecrow in the original Wizard of Oz pointing in different directions to try to figure out which way to go to Oz or the uh, Emerald City. And so that was, you know, again, so we get some really good throwbacks. Um, we're introduced to the character of the Seeker, who we, we think is a, a bad guy because there's this whole backhanded deal Um between the air of day and our group that she's going to sell them out to, uh, the long coats and zero. Um, and she's going to get money and, and the seeker's going to get some money. Uh, but of course it all turns out to go, uh, drastically awry for everyone involved. Um, and we learn that the seeker is a homo, but getting a little ahead of myself, uh, cause you, you brought it up. Uh, so, the reason behind Toto kind of leaving the trail of breadcrumbs for Ascadalia to track them to where, you know, down south um, to get to Fernacqua or however you say it uh, and to figure out where the emerald is, because that's kind of the big inciting thing is uh, DG's on this quest to find the emerald to prevent Ascadalia from getting it to use this device to basically enshroud the world in forever darkness. Uh, which was also a device developed by Glitch, who we found out in episode two was um, basically the right-hand man to the queen, uh, and his name was Ambrose, and he was this amazing scientist, and they uh, essentially, to get... He wouldn't divulge the information on how to create the Sun Seeder or how to uh, operate it, that they used their techniques to basically take part of his brain and use that to run it. So every reason that glitch is kind of acting weird or, or repeating himself is because of this. And he made this ultimate sacrifice, uh, uh, short of basically ending his own life to try to prevent Ascadalia from getting these plans. But we saw in also an episode two that, um, Ascadalia makes a plan with Toto to, uh, to get him to get his freedom uh, he has to basically betray DG and the group. And uh, he is confronted by Kane near the beginning because Kane was suspicious of him from the get go and rightfully so. Um, but he does have an explanation because he says, well, one, I've been locked up for 15 years Two, If I didn't do this, she would have just killed me. And three, I did it the best way I could to delay uh, her as much as possible without giving away that I'm still trying to help you. And so there's this air of suspicion throughout the episode um, because they do have him revert to Toto the dog um, for a bit to kind of keep an easy eye on him. And then once everyone is captured other than DG by the long coats, he goes running off. And they just assume that it was him, you know, running and hiding. Uh, but we're also at this point revealed that the Seeker is a homo and a homo is DG's father uh, and that they are uh, 
they finally unlock the location of basically what is the royal um, tomb for all the royalty, you know, going back. And another great throwback is the air, hot air balloon. And, and we also, it is revealed that Ahamo came from the other side uh, to the OZ, fell in love with the queen, um, married her, and had Ascadalia and DG. Um, so, you know, we get the, the backstory there as well. Uh, and it's also um, revealed that she's the direct descendant of Dorothy Gale. So this was a concept that I really liked that they explored that this isn't so much as a ne- necessarily a re a complete reimagining, but a continuation of um, L. Frank Baum's original story. And I was looking at the uh, trivia because I haven't read all the books either. The one I've only read is the actual Wizard of Oz. But Dorothy does end up becoming royalty um, with Ozma. And so it kind of ties into this being this royal line. And um, another fun thing is when she goes into basically Dorothy's tomb, uh, it switches to black and white. Again, a reference to the original Wizard of Oz and starting out in black and white and transferring to color. And she gets the emerald. Of course, she's ambushed by Ascadalia and, and the crew. And um, we're basically get into the final moments of the episode. Uh, we have Kane reunited with his son. And we also see that his son has kind of walked the same path after losing his mother. And um, and he wants to kill Zero because Zero, we haven't really talked about his character a whole lot, but Zero was a long coat or, or a tin man under uh, Kane, and once Ascadalia came into power, he, you know, he always had this kind of uh, ambivalence towards Kane, and so used his new position to torture Kane, trap him in the Tin Man uh, suit or the Iron Suit, torture him with the the device of rewatching those final moments over and over and over and over again, um, and now we also see that basically his son uh, wants to just straight up kill, execute Zero. And we finally kind of get this new moment of his heart starting to finally come back, sticking to that, you know, if I only had a heart bit and everything like that, instead of necessarily killing Zero, he punishes him by trapping him in an and the iron suit as well uh to basically get justice and and it's explaining to his son he doesn't want his son to go down that same path which i i thought was just this great moment of care because i will say probably the most developed character through all this is him is kane i think like we we get all these great moments of him you know, being this kind of I, I don't care about anyone anymore. My what my family's gone. And uh, yes, I'll do this because I, you know, I'm in direct opposition to Ascadalia, but I'm, I, I, I don't have this heart for compassion anymore. And then, you know, once he finds out that his family or at least his son is still alive at some point, you know, that hope starts to rekindle in him and we start seeing that that heart thaw a little bit more. And then we see the culmination of that in this final episode um, and him 
reuniting with his son and trying to teach his son not to go down that same path. So I think it's his through line through the whole mini series is beautiful. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, and basically to just kind of wrap everything up, um, DG is able to reach out to what's left of her sister and, and uh, force out the witch and the witch still tries to, you know, basically shroud the world in eternal darkness. But through the re, uh, reuniting of DG and Ascadalia and the light, uh, they are able to to overcome her and everyone is is reunited. Um, I will say the ending that after all that, because I, I, I like how all that do, is done and I like how all that plays out. There's no real kind of final moment. Um, I mean, like, there's just no final kind of overall wrap-up. We never go back to the other side. We leave that all completely behind. Um, there's, you would think that there would be kind of a ruby slipper type deal in here, but that's not ever, and eh, that's a minor thing to me, but that you would think that that would have kind of come into play at some point. Um, but there's no, other than the families reunited, uh, there's no kind of final moments like we get at the end of The Wizard of Oz where, you know, the lioness got his courage. I mean, we have these moments, but it, there's no like parade or, you know, thing like that. There's no celebration of the world being reunited and fixed and, and everything going back to its place. So uh, I will say like that kind of left me wanting a little bit more, but uh, I, I I will say that it, it ended everything that was started in episode one and continued in episode two. It ended well in episode three. So, Matt, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, overall, I felt like it did a pretty good job of closing out the story. Uh, I'll agree there at the end uh, where she says I'm home. I mean, it kind of alludes to what Dorothy says at the end of The Wizard of Oz that I'm home. Uh, but also, I was expecting more. I wanted more than just, well, I'm home, and then here's the credits. Here's the move. Here's the end of it. Um, but I, like, I, I like that she was able to find her sister again. I mean, obviously, when you've had 15 years of the witch being inside you, it's eating away at your sister that you're not sure whether there's anything left. And I, I did like that, that, uh, battle. Um, I, 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 I really saw it in the second episode. I know I already said, like, I felt like the cowardly lion being like an oracle reminds me of the matrix. But one of the other things that made it seem as well being like the matrix was when you see the flashback of them running through the woods in episode two. Uh, one's wearing a uh, DG's wearing a red dress and the sister's wearing a blue dress. So do you want the red pill or the blue pill? Uh, so I, I, I saw a lot of similarities where it made me interested into what path we're going to take. You had the fork in the road in the woods, which, which way is going to lead us. Um, I did notice when she does bring the lake back and she skips the rock, you see the ground kind of go yellow or gold. So like it kind of gives you that impression of the yellow brick road. I just wish there would have been a yellow brick road to look at 
because of how Oz uh, or the Wizard of Oz is done. Well, there was. Uh, but uh, there was an ep- in episode one. The old road is the yellow brick road grown over. Okay, I, I didn't really see see that that much uh, on that, so I didn't catch it. So, but I, I wish there would have been more of that. Like that, the roads were were yellow. Uh, you you would see the brick more. Um, but I overall, I felt that it was a good story. I wish it would have ended it better than just saying I'm home. I would have liked to have seen Oz kind of become colorful again. Because, uh, I mean, obviously, after 15 years, you've drained the orchards and everything. They have 15 annuals and no no uh, fruit on the orchards and stuff that you could have seen everything, everybody celebrating. It could have been like the, um, the uh, Battle of Endor in Star Wars where you had a little party. And uh, especially when I think it was the first, ep- first or second episode, she stuck with Glitch in a, like, little cat or prison cell like thing and she has to swing out of it to get onto that uh bridge that area reminded me of indoor uh so like i was i i i felt different parts of other films were in this and a lot of that can be based off of where you film the movie um so i i know uh a lot of these films and series have been filmed up in uh british columbia up in vancouver area so uh, it looks very familiar um, and stuff, but overall, I mean, I felt that it it did a good job. I wish it would have ended a little better, um, but I will say it it did what it needed to do. The only disappointment, like I understand it, it made it like a continuation of Wizard of Oz when she sees Dorothy Gale in in the tomb scene. Um, I like the effect of it going black and white because earlier in the series. Um, DG says her dream felt like she was in Technicolor, which is what was used in Wizard of Oz. So uh, I like that part, but like you hear her character name all the time, the whole time is GG, DG, PG. So like I'm thinking Dorothy Gale, but then you have Dorothy Gale at the end of the episodes talk to her. So like, so then it makes the impression that this is completely separate. Like these aren't. Maybe not the Cowardly Lion, the Tin Man, and uh, the Scarecrow that are from Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz, but it, it so it kind of confuses a, a watcher that's maybe not familiar with the material or anything like that, or is familiar with the original material, and then you make this modern twist on it, and then you really have to pay attention to understand what they're doing. Uh, so. Uh, I, I thought it did a pretty good job. Um, it, it probably won't get as a high of a rating from me as, as I would have wanted, uh, but it did a good job. Well, I will say I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably end up providing two ratings. Um, kind of my when I first saw it um, type of initial reaction type rating and then kind of a you know updated looking at it from a critical aspect because as i as i said it'd been probably about 5 years since i last rewatched this and as i watched it again um you know recently i found i found some parts that just like w- one didn't work for me some some line deliveries from the actors that didn't work um again like the visual effects 
at the time were good, but they really kind of don't hold up now. Uh, the ones that's the closest to like really holding up would be the one uh, flying monkey, Zora. And then once like Zora's gone, the rest of them don't look that good. And um, and I get it like it's again, it's a television budget, so they don't have a whole lot to, to really do or spend towards that type of thing. But maybe I would have preferred a little bit more practical elements and and take back the CG a little bit. Um, but yeah, I um, overall, as a fan of The Wizard of Oz, like I, I really like this update. I like this particular spin and twist. Um, I mean, some things don't work for me. Like I said already, the the updated Scarecrow out of the three doesn't really work that well for me. Um, not so much that like he was a scientist or anything like that, but just he just being human in of himself. Like I would have wished that they kind of they could have kept the scientist aspect a little bit, but maybe had him an animated scarecrow more or or dressed up like the scarecrow. Cause like even with Tin Man with Kane, when he comes out of the suit, he's got the the silver paint on um from the suit and like so that's a nice like little nod and once he of course cleans himself off he looks normal um and considering that the original character of the tin man was human who became made out of tin like that's you know a different aspect to it the cowardly lion like i thought was a very good update uh it made sense like why he would be kind of afraid of things when you're an empath and you can feel all these feelings and you're your species is being used for these nefarious purposes and stuff like that, uh, that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so the scarecrow was just kind of the only one that didn't work. Another, you know, miss for me was again, the mystic man, because it, it like, I liked the idea that he was a show performer and that as Cadalia was keeping him drugged on these vapors and stuff and using these vapors to kind of control the citizens within Central City, which is, of course, so, you know, the representation of the Emerald City. Um, and that's how she's keeping her power over a lot of these people without them all kind of revolting against her. But again, it just it's packing a lot into a three episode miniseries where it just it doesn't it, it doesn't balance out well. Now, I'll say, even though I don't necessarily like that Alice and Neverland went to two episodes I think that ended up helping out the director and the writer because they go okay we got two episodes we got to make sure we have enough setup without cramming too much in and then the resolution in the second episode so I think that that is why those two probably work a little bit better and um, I do plan on analyzing both of those uh on a future episode of the podcast. Um, so, but I, I just felt like, well, Tin Man at least was at start. Like it was that, okay, we're going to test and we're going to see how this works. Uh, I know it was a very, very big ratings hit, um, at the time. Um, I, it's just kind of sad to see that it, it, it kind of got discontinued after, after the, after Neverland, because I would have liked to have seen what they would have done with something like Cinderella, or Sleeping Beauty, um, you know, all these different kind of versions of not all Disney films, but Alice in Wonderland's Disney. Um, Peter Pan is Disney. I think 
Wizard of Oz is the only one out of them that was a, a non-Disney picture. But give us these kind of different interpretations of characters and updates uh, and see these kind of different scenarios and storylines. So I have to applaud it for doing that. Um, and it's one that I will definitely keep revisiting throughout the years, no matter how bad the effects age or how bad I might find some of the acting. Uh, I, I just I, overall, I really like it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go into my review score and I'm going to say my, my initial viewing as, uh, back to when it aired 13 years ago. And when I first got to watch it, I would say it was probably like a 4.5 out of five for me. Uh, but rewatching it now and looking at it through a more critical eye, I'd say it's probably along the lines of more of a, a three or a three and a half out of five, um, just because now I, I do pick up on things that probably weren't well thought out story plot points that just were either crammed in or not explained well enough. Certain delivery of lines uh, and acting. Um, but again, like there's just there's so much to like about it that I'm not going to let even just kind of my criticisms of it impact my enjoyment of it. So. All right, Matt, what what what's your score? Uh, I would probably give it a three out of five. Um, I, and that's probably because I've watched Wizard of Oz so many times. I mean, we've taken Robert recently, even during this pandemic, we got to see the Wizard of Oz in the theater and it just, it stands the test of time. I mean, for an 81 year old movie, it does a lot. It does very well. And, um, I'm not going to say that this didn't do a good job. I, I, I felt it, it did well with it could do with what it had. Um, but like you said, I think it would have worked better as a series and uh, instead of a mini series and have more character development. Uh, I was kind of joking with you earlier before this. I said, if they went to remake this, they should have Jason Momoa be uh, the cowardly lion. Cause I think, uh, uh, the, the appeal with all of the shows, kind of shows he does, is like he's, I mean, he's done Aquaman, he's done Frontier, he's done C on Apple TV Plus. Uh, uh, he did Game of Thrones. Like, I feel like he would be a really good cowardly line uh, because of uh, just looking at some of his his I guess in a way comedy that he can do, um, uh, especially with his Super Bowl commercial. That's the the Super Bowl this year, having his arms rip off and he's his tiny, scrawny Jason Momoa, I think uh, would be be good. Um, as far as the other characters, I didn't really think in detail of who I would want to recast for those. Um, maybe Anna Kendrick for for DG, um, but uh, the rest of them, I, I I mean, I felt it did a good job. I liked um, the witch was wanting power and darkness over over OZ, which is kind of what uh, the Wicked Witch of the West wanted with uh, with the Land of Oz, is she wanted power over everything. And, uh, and so I think it does a good job with it, and I, I give it a three out of five. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with, with what you say there. Um, so... I think that that's uh, probably going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, if you are in the States and celebrating Thanksgiving this week, we, we wish you a, a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully, you know, everyone's being safe and 
you know, everyone's family will be safe. I understand, you know, it's it's some disconcerting times right now, but we just wish you all, you, you all, even your families, a, a safe and, and wonderful Thanksgiving. And to our international listeners, you know, it's just going to be another Thursday for you all next week. Uh, so, you know, enjoy, enjoy your day as, as it will be. Um, but that's going to do it this week. And like we said uh, uh, last week on the podcast, we will probably not have a new one next Monday. Uh, I might swing something by Matt here off air when we're done recording to see if he would be interested in something. But um, so if you don't see a new episode uh, next Monday, that's just because we took the weekend off just because of the holidays and, and to have a little bit of a break. But uh, as always, you can write into the podcast at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. You can follow us on Critics NT Cynics on Twitter. Uh, follow us uh, on Facebook at Critics Not Cynics Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on any service that you use, being Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, Amazon Music, uh, Google Play, wherever you can get your podcast from. Uh, and if you'd always be kind to leave a rating and review on whatever service you use, we'd appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time.